Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 151. I have three fun facts for you this week. Just, just hold on. Prior to this past Saturday, Kansas has never beat Texas in Austin. Obviously, they beat Texas this past weekend. It was glorious. Number two, Jared Casey, the player who caught the two-point conversion pass, was uh, a walk-on, redshirt freshman walk-on, who had his first snap on that two-point conversion play. Uh, I don't know what position he played, but he he lined up in the slot, I think. Caught that awesome pass to seal the win uh, in overtime. And number three, this broke a 56-game losing streak for Kansas in Big 12 road games. Their last Big 12 road win was in October of 2008, only 16 months after the iPhone was first introduced. Let that sit in. This awkwardly was a win against Iowa State, 35-33 in Jack Trice, but uh, that's fine. And yes, let these fun facts about Texas losing distract you from the fact that Iowa State lost in Lubbock to Texas Tech this week. Yeah, we did. We did lose to Texas Tech in Lubbock, and... So I've gone back and forth since the end of this game as to whether I just want to be sad and reserved and depressed or if I want to get angry. And I think I'm going to get angry because that's what I need to do right now. And we'll go big picture later. But right now I want to get angry. See, you knew that this team was going to come to play. They had just hired their new head coach. He wasn't coaching this game, but it was a hire that generally people liked, um, including the current players. So you just hired the new head coach. This is a trap game coming up before OU, and I talked about it last week. Don't fall into that trap game. And you come out absolutely flat in the first half, giving up 31 points in that first half. In the first half, you weren't able to get off the field on third and fourth down. You gave up too many big plays. Somehow this team was obviously not prepared for a running quarterback. It came out on, like, Tuesday that Texas's Tech's starting quarterback, who's a pocket passer, was not going to play. That came out on Tuesday. It's not like it came out at 11 o'clock on Saturday. You knew on Tuesday you were not going to be facing a pocket passer. Yet you were completely unprepared for a running quarterback. That falls on the coaching staff. You made great adjustments in the second half. I'll give you that. You stopped Texas Tech's offense for a great part of the second half. But how are you not prepared for a running quarterback in the first half? You basically had the entire week to prepare for that running quarterback, and you just weren't. How does that happen? Next, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna fast forward ahead to the last drive because I don't have much else to say. You know, you all, y'all watch the game. I just want to fast forward to that last drive. That was probably the last Iowa State drive. That was probably the most discombobulated and frustrating last drive I've ever seen, right? Because it combined very conservative play calling, meaning you don't want Texas Tech, or meaning you just want to make sure you get this field goal, but also not running enough time off the clock. How do you choose to do both of those? On that last drive, in running clock situations, Iowa State snapped the ball with 16, 8, and 22 seconds left on the play clock. If I can do math, that's 46 seconds right there. If they just let that time run off, Iowa State kicks that field goal with 15 seconds left. 15, and then Texas Tech just takes a knee, and we're going to overtime. 
How can you call plays conservatively and then not use the clock? You had three timeouts. So if you needed to stop the clock to give yourself a chance to score, you could. There was absolutely no reason to be in the hurry-up offense um, after that Charlie Kohler first down that put you safely in field goal range. After that point, there was no reason to be in hurry-up offense. Kicking a field goal with time left on the clock in that situation, absolutely, completely, and totally unacceptable. That can't happen. That can't happen. You cannot give Texas Tech another opportunity. That is terrible clock management by Coach Campbell and Brock Purdy. What was Brock Purdy doing going out of bounds on that last play when he was nowhere near the first down marker? If he just stays in bounds, they're kicking that field goal with 15 seconds left, and Texas Tech is taking a knee. That's just terrible clock management. That was one of the worst executed final drives I have ever seen in my life as far as clock management is concerned. And if you do that, we're not even talking about the fact that Iowa State couldn't tackle at the end of the first or second half, keeping players in bounds and keeping two Texas Tech field goals off the board like they should have done. Execution in the last two minutes of these halves killed Iowa State. And that last drive frustrated me so much. That was just awful. I don't even know. I, I, I can't even understand what was going through the coaching staff's mind when they were running the hurry-up offense and calling conservative plays. I don't get it. I don't get it one bit. Either you're going for the touchdown, or you're going to kick the game-tying field goal with no time on the clock. You can't result in neither of those. You can't do it. You can't do it. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to calm down now. But I don't know if you I mean, have any other thoughts on that last drive. But I, I don't have any thoughts on the last drive. Um other than what you've already said, uh, that pretty much sums up the frustration. There was just a lot of confusion that came out of that, honestly. Um, and what I can say is without a doubt, um, this team is underprepared for this game. And they, I think it was one of those games where you're looking too far ahead. Um, you allow a redshirt freshman quarterback to throw for 322 yards He's 80% completion percentage from the pocket. And it's not like he's averaging five, four or five yards a play. He's averaging 10 yards per attempt. Um, three touchdowns, one interception. He also runs for 50 yards. So you give up dang near 400 yards of total offense to a guy who has no business um, doing that against supposedly one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, heck, the the defense this is like a top 30 defense in the nation well it was gave up 207 rushing yards to texas tech a team that was known for the air raid offense it's just completely unacceptable um and uh shout out big banner whatever you want to do you can't get down that much in the first half and expect to be in any football games you also can't give up 41 points and expect to win. It just doesn't happen. No, I, I, it's, it's unacceptable. Um, you're, you're down, you give up 31 points in the first half. No, no, not, not supposedly one of the best defenses in the country. You're six and four. This is one of the most frustrating teams we've been watching, especially since it's been one of the most anticipated, hyped, teams that we've ever 
scene. And I, I credit, we'll give credit to, you know, give credit to Texas Tech. The kid kicks a 62-yard field goal. That's an NFL kick. And and the their quarterback gets gets him down gets them down into position to do that. Good on that kid. His first start, you know, welcome to the Big 12. Maybe we'll be seeing him more often. Maybe he is one of those fantastic quarterbacks. And But this is just such an old Iowa State way to lose. And it's so frustrating to see that happen. And, you know, after a team that was supposed that was in the driver's seat, they controlled their own destiny. You know, you talk about that a lot. You control your own destiny. Well, you came out and you flat out failed in this football game. You sucked, and now you're re- like reaping the benefit or the not the benefits of it. You're reaping the failure of that game. Um, we'll get into you know what what if any scenarios there are later. Mike will talk about that. Um, I I just want to go back and touch on that point you said that it's it's kind of sad that this was the most hyped team in school history. And it ends up going down like this. And I, right, and we said it at the beginning of the year. This is why I'm going to calm down and get a little bit sappy and sentimental, right? We said it at the beginning of the year that this was, this was the year for, for this team, right? Like, I don't foresee this team going back into the absolute doldrums of patheticness that Iowa State was in the pre-Matt Campbell era. But this was the year to, to, to go to a, a Sugar Bowl, go win a Big 12 championship, go to a college football playoff. This was the year to do that, if you were going to do that. And it's just sad to see it go down with two um, just terrible defensive performances um, on the road against inferior opponents in West Virginia and, uh, and Texas Tech. And I, I feel for these seniors, because these seniors are single-handedly responsible for um, turning this this team around, right? Brock Purdy against, right, coming in, probably one of, if not the best quarterback in school history. Kohler, best tight end in school history. Hall, one of the best running backs in school history. Eisworth, Rose, McDonald, Wazuike, probably four of the better defenders in school history. All of them are going to be gone next year. All of them so incredible for this turnaround. It's sad that uh, it's sad that they're they're going to be gone, and it's sad that it has to go like that. But that being said, enjoy these last two weeks, Cyclone fans. Don't tune out. This team could still get a respectable bowl game. Um, you can still beat OU and prove to them that uh, they're not better than the rest of the conference. We might not be able to get to the ultimate place we were looking for, or at least not likely. But don't don't check out of this team. This team deserves your support for these next two games, just based on what they've done over these last couple of years. Yeah, and I mean, hey, if if there's anything that we can take out of this upcoming week is is it's is it's one of the last hurrahs that we can send OU out with a good riddance and heck you, um, you can substitute that in for your favorite cuss word that you won't, would like one of your choosing, but good riddance to one of the teams that has one of the worst songs ever um, for a marching band and a team that gets so annoying and way too overhyped for who they are. And a little bit of a stick it to them that this game is at 11 a.m. on Fox, right? They're leaving the Big 12 uh, for because they don't get enough games in primetime. Well, 
um, this game this weekend, 11 a.m. on Fox. Like I said, it's big noon kickoff, I believe, is going to be in Norman, Oklahoma for this game. So there's going to be some hype around it. Um, it it should hopefully be an interesting game, and you know maybe it'll be our, our chance to beat OU again um, in Norman. We fell short there two years ago. Um, four years ago, where it came out with an absolutely incredible victory uh, behind Kyle Kemp and Alan Lazard um, in that season. So we'll see how it pans out. Currently, OU is four-point favorites. Uh, the FPI gives Iowa State only a 34.5% chance to win this game. So I don't know. I mean... I, we'll get into some keys to victory for this game and for Iowa State. It's going to be slowing down the run, I think, of whoever, whichever quarterback they throw out. Um, they last week Oklahoma benched uh, Caleb Williams and replaced him with Spencer Rattler at the end of the game, and so can Iowa State slow them down with their legs? And I think this defense needs to get more pressure to force more turnovers. Uh, I think that's what this game is going to come down to is who has possession of the ball more often and who takes advantage of those turnovers. Um, Iowa State was a little turnover happy in the game against Texas Tech, and that really put them in a hole in some of those drives. So get to the quarterback, get some pressure, force some turnovers, and uh, limit the quarterback run as well, I would say. Mike or Wyatt, do you have any keys to victory in this game? Keep that OU crowd at bay. Um, If you let that OU crowd um, get into it in Norman, I think you're going to have a tough time uh, overcoming that. Uh, This isn't an OU crowd that's going to overlook Iowa State like they did the last two games. Um, in Norman, um, where they're just sleepy the whole time. Um, That's not going to happen this year. Um, So don't let the crowd get super into this game, and you've got a chance. But if you let OU get out to a lead like you have um, these last few weeks against West Virginia, against Texas, against Texas Tech, you're not coming back against OU. Don't let OU start fast, and then you got a chance. My my closing thoughts on this before we start talking about a Big 12 title, you know, potential births is um, just seeing the overall performance in this Oklahoma game. It doesn't really matter if you win or lose. I don't think as long as both sides of the ball can actually function, we we've seen the offense and the defense alike in different games this year, just be completely anemic. Um, I don't have any specific keys for the Oklahoma game, but as long as we can perform in this game um, and in the TCU game and uh, potential postseason game, um, I'll feel a lot better going into next season specifically because I feel like with this overhyped team starting this year, we settle into this comfortable corner of mediocrity that we haven't, I haven't really seen a snap out of yet. You know, uh, even if you just look at the Texas Tech game, like you said, Mike, these kind of stupid mistakes of clock management and weird offensive play calling, uh, in my opinion, gives me a little concern on, on the culture that that's going on. Well, we always hype on Matt Campbell's culture, but it seems like something's happening and we've kind of haven't been able to snap out of it yet. So just watching how we play in these next couple of games uh, this year is going to make me feel a lot better going into the next season. Yeah. And there is still a little bit to play for. We do still mathematically have a shot at the big 12 title game. According to 538 sports, it's a 2% chance. So not much, but it is still a chance. Here's how. 
win out. That's step one. You got to win out. Step two, Baylor has to lose out now. There is no um, tiebreaker scenario you can get in, I don't think, that you can make it without Baylor losing out. Then you need either OU or OSU to lose out. One of the two. Could be either one because if you win out, you'll have the tiebreaker over both of them. That would result in a... um, that would result in a tiebreaker that Iowa State could win because we'd have the tiebreaker over both OU or OSU with three losses, and Baylor would have four losses. Um, so that would put you in the Big 12 title game. Um, there might be one scenario where if you end up in a five-way tie with three losses, if somehow Baylor, Kansas State, Iowa State, OSU... Um, and, I, and Iowa State, those five teams all end with three losses. I have no idea what would happen there. But if that happens, um, I'll let you know. If we, if that's a possibility after next week's games, I'll let you know. But um, So that that's basically it. Baylor needs to lose out. Oklahoma or Oklahoma State needs to lose out, and we need to win out. If that happens, we're in. Not likely, but if it does, we're in. For the record, Baylor plays K-State this week, um, and what's a pick'em game right now, actually. And then they have Texas Tech um, in the last week. OU plays Iowa State, then Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State gets Texas Tech, and then OU. So, it could happen, but just barely. But So, enjoy the games, root against Baylor, and then we got a chance. Yeah. But, if, there... if you... Go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, well, there it is. And, I mean, if you want something to root for in the meantime, uh, Cyclone basketball has officially tipped off. Both the men's and women's teams um, are underway in their uh, 2021-2022 seasons. Um, so far on the men's side, they've, they've started out a surprising 2-0. and um, These are games against Kennesaw State. Um, and then Oregon State, which was actually, were they, I believe they were an Elite Eight team last year. Um, That's correct me if I'm wrong. They, yeah, so an Elite but, Eight Power Five team. I mean, yeah, but they were an Elite Eight team because they got hot at the right time. Like, if they wouldn't have got hot and won the Pac-12 tournament, they wouldn't have even made the NCAA tournament. And then they just stayed hot in the NCAA tournament. So it's not like you beat Kansas here. It's not like you beat Texas or Gonzaga to start the season, but I mean, it's could be something promising. Uh, I don't know. You can't take a whole lot from the first, you know, few games of the season. Uh, Really, the team starting to to get to know each other. I mean, this is a completely revamped roster. Ultimately, Uh, one of the main returning players is George Condit and. Trey Jackson. So there's there's not a lot of returning players here. Uh, Tyrese Hunter has come in. That's that's the big recruit for Iowa State. But a few of my keys that I've taken away from the first two games is the team is getting to the glass. Um, they tied um, on total rebounds with Kennesaw State in that first game, uh, but they out-rebounded Oregon State in the second game. That is something that I... That, has been plaguing the Cyclones in years past is not getting to the glass uh, after missed shots, especially with as frequently as they would launch three-pointers. But 
Turnovers are still a huge issue for this team. They had 22 uh, in their first game and 17 in the second game. Um, that's that's not going to play when you get into Big 12 um, time. So that needs to come down for sure. One trend that I like to see so far, don't take too much from it, the assists on made baskets is up uh, from years past. So, so what does that mean? Ultimately, that means that the ball is moving around a little bit more. Um, one of the things that we talked about a lot is how stagnant it seemed like the offense was under the prome era, um, how much it kind of turned into really an NBA offense where it was one person handling the ball and then putting up a shot. Um, Right now, it seems like the team is 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 sharing the basketball a little bit more, um, and that's going to lead to open baskets, um, and that's really going to help this team when they get into Big 12 play. It's not like they have a star who can go out and get you 30 a night. Um, that that's not going to happen. That's not. It, this isn't like a a UCLA team where they have that Johnny Juzang or a. Um, Gonzaga team with Chet Holgram, who's already filling up the stat sheet. This is a team where it's going to rely on a, a complete team effort and sharing the basketball is going to lead to some of those easy baskets and open field goals for this team to make. They're still struggling a little bit from three, but the, the statistics are up slightly from last season. So we'll see how this team goes or how this team is moving forward. Um, next up, they play Alabama State on Tuesday, November 16th, and then they have Grambling State on Sunday, November 21st. So two more games this week, and we will cover the games uh, after that as well. So that's 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 your cycle in men's basketball. Um, I don't know. I didn't ask you, Mike. Did you have any other thoughts before we move I, on? I didn't. I didn't. uh I wasn't able to watch any of the Oregon State game and only watched a little bit of the, the Kinesaw State game. So, um, But yeah, I, I was impressed with Tyrese Hunter. He came in and did good work as a freshman. Um, the recruiting class still looks good for next year. So this year might not be much. Um, I still wouldn't get super excited about these two wins. But hey, they they look like they're going to get more wins than the football team this year. So that's a, it's never good when your basketball team wins less games than your football team. So... They're off to a better start than last year. Never good when your basketball team doesn't win a conference game. So I, I think they'll avoid that this year, too. They're better than last year. It's not saying much, but it's true. They're better than last year. Yeah. Well, speaking of teams that are better than last year or teams that you know might end up doing worse than they did last year, the NFL has reached the almost the near completion of Week 10. The, and it started out with a somewhat stunning loss. Um, the Ravens went down to Miami in what was a very humid and muggy game down there uh, on Thursday Night Football. And the Miami Dolphins end up getting their third win of the season. Uh, Lamar Jackson and company were held in check. Oh, I mean, he had 238 yards through the air, but only one touchdown. He also had one interception. Um, things weren't really working for that Baltimore offense. Um, and the Miami Dolphins were fueled by a defensive touchdown in that game. The Buccaneers, uh, are they faltering? I don't know. Um, 
could be a few midseason woes, but their defense certainly isn't what it was last year. Um, I thought their defense was one of the main reasons why they were such a prominent contender for the Super Bowl. Um, and this year, the defense is starting to starting to give up some big plays. They've had a ton of injuries, but it just doesn't seem to be clicking as much as it was last season. They go up to Washington, the team without a name, uh, and lose to them. Um, Washington does lose Chase Young for the year, which is a huge, huge impact on them. But the Buccaneers fall to 6-3 and three on the season. We did have our first tie of the year in the NFL as Pittsburgh and the Detroit Lions could not get a winner um, after 60 minutes of action in regulation and then an extra 10 minutes in overtime. Uh, you Obviously, you can't lose if you tie. Big brain energy there for the Detroit Lions. Um, and it was, it was really just an ugly game all around. Uh, Wyatt, you, you have a fun fact for us in this game? It's Yeah, it's kind of a stupid fun fact, but uh, it's one that I really enjoy. This tie actually drops the Lions out of contention for being 0-17 and 17 this year without getting a win. Shout out to the Lions. Shout out to the Lions. Big brain energy, you know? Yes, tying does prevent you from losing all your games. But yeah. It's just yeah. a very Lions thing to do. That That's all. Like I said, it was a silly fun fact. Yeah. It is. I mean, they could be the first team to go 0-16 and, and 1, though. Wouldn't that be kind of fun? You still went 0-16, but you also tied. That would be one for the record books. That's almost worse. I, I think it is. I'd rather go 0-16 than 0-16 and 1. But would you rather go 0 and 17 than 0 and 16 and 1? Uh, no, I'd rather have the tie than another loss, but I'd rather oh. just not play the extra game if I was that bad. There you go. Well, a team that is definitely not as bad. Uh, in the AFC, the Tennessee Titans, they win again. They do have own that best record in the AFC right now, sitting at 8 and 2. Um, even without Derrick Henry, that train just keeps on rolling. Um, Tennessee's playing some very, very good football. They they could wrap up that division early based on how the the Colts um, are playing down the down the road. Carolina in a surprising uh, turn of events upends the Murrayless Arizona Cardinals. Um, Cam Newton did have two touchdowns in his return to Carolina. Yes, Cam Newton, surprise everyone, he's back in Carolina after they paid Teddy Bridgewater a fortune to replace him, and then they gave up a ton of draft picks for Sam Darnold to replace Tim, Teddy Bridgewater, Cam Newton's replacement, and now they're replacing Cam Newton's replacement of his replacement with Cam Newton. It, it's, a, it's a big saga, but Cam is back. Uh, he could potentially be in line to start next week for that Carolina Panthers team, so they could be in the hunt again in that NFC South. Mike, uh, the Vikings beat the Chargers out in L.A. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what happens when you actually get the ball to your best player. So in case you haven't been following the saga, Justin Jefferson was only targeted nine times combined in the last two games. And I'm just, Justin Jefferson is the Vikings' best player. All due respect to Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, and Adam Thielen. Justin Jefferson is their best player. Um, and they only targeted him nine times in the last two games, only one of which was a deep pass down the field. I don't know what happened 
in between weeks nine and week 10, but they decided they were going to get uh, Justin Jefferson the ball. They took multiple deep shots um, down the field to Justin Jefferson, most of which he ended up catching. Um, it's amazing what happens when you're aggressive. The Vikings threw the ball downfield, not just to Justin Jefferson, but in situations where they otherwise would have been conser- more conservative running draws or screens or things in like third and medium or the third and long type situations. They actually went for it on fourth down at the end of the game instead of trying to trust their defense to hold on. They just did a lot of things right in this game. Um, They were aggressive and this is what happens. This is what this team needs to do. They need to be aggressive. They're not good enough on defense to, um, to pound teams to death. Um, and they're not good enough on offense to win shootouts. You've got to be aggressive, choose your spots, be aggressive, and uh, make plays. And that's what they're able to do against the Chargers to get back into the playoff race. So, Well, there you have it. Uh, the playoff race is getting bleaker for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Green Bay now with one of the best records in the NFC, actually tied for the best record in the NFC with the tiebreaker over Arizona. They are sitting at 8-2. and two. They stymied the Seattle Seahawks. It was the return of Russell Wilson from injury and Aaron Rodgers from uh, the COVID list. Um, Green Bay takes the lead. Uh, they're in the driver's seat in the NFC right now. According to 538, both the Titans and the Packers are have the best odds at a first-round buy in their respective divisions. Um, and... That is that is kind of who's at the top uh, in the hunt for that first round buy in the AFC are the Buffalo Bills and lingering way back in the pack are the Kansas City Chiefs. And then in the NFC, you got the L.A. Rams, the Cowboys and the Cardinals and Buccaneers all jostling for that first overall seed. Um, I, I mentioned the Chiefs are still jostling for it. They are back on track. Um, Patrick Mahomes had over 400 yards passing and five touchdowns, and the defense had some key takeaways to fuel a win out in Sin City. Um, Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders looked completely lost in this game, and the Chiefs started to to look like they were um, in, in years past. It's amazing how you know they made a few adjustments, they made some tweaks. They're down to their third right tackle, but they were using Travis Kelsey to chip the whole game. And Patrick Mahomes was was clean. He was staying off the turf uh, out in the desert, and it, everything just seemed to be working. They were clicking, um, and it, you know, hey, maybe that was the game that they needed to get back on track. And the defense has fewer holes than it has uh, at least the first six uh, to seven games of the season. So there you have it. That's Week Ten, uh, Monday Night. Football features a divisional rivalry in the NFC West. Um, So that is featuring an Odell Beckham uh, that actually heads out to L.A. um, after he was released by the Cleveland Browns. So that is your big news in the NFL for this week. Stay tuned as we keep you updated on all things NFL and Week 11 next week. Yes, we will, of course, keep you up to date. But now I want to talk about um, some interesting officiating, as we always do in Mike Stupid Rules. For those of you who are watching late in that Iowa State-Texas Tech game, you saw the um, Texas Tech fans um, starting to throw objects 
at the officials or onto the field. I'm saying at the officials because there was a full water bottle that came within a foot, if not closer, of a referee's head. First of all, just don't do that. You can get upset at the officials. You can yell at the officials. But be civil, and you cannot throw things at the officials. That is completely unacceptable, and I have nothing more. You just can't do that. Like, show some, show some decency. So when that happened, um, the officials stopped the game, and instead of, like, ejecting the section where it came from or, like, calling it unsportsmanlike on Texas Tech for it, all they did was they, they just emptied the two sections but basically the fans could just go anywhere they wanted, so I'll just moved over two sections and we were good to go. Um, that was a little weird. I would have, you know, done something different. Anyway, so what if what authority does the officials have to do that um, is the question. And how were they able to do it without calling a penalty on Texas Tech? Well, what we're going to start is in Rule 11, Section 1, Article 1 that says the official's jurisdiction begins 90 minutes before the scheduled kickoff um, and ends when a referee declares the final score. So basically, the officials have jurisdiction the entire time from 90 minutes before the start of the game to when the final score is declared. doesn't matter if it's a dead ball, live ball, halftime. Technically, the officials have jurisdiction over the marching band during halftime, um, so don't do anything illegal out there, marching band. Um, but basically, as part of that jurisdiction, if you find a copy of the NCAA CFO uh, manual, um, College Football Officiating Manual, which I couldn't find because the, uh, the uh, NCAA CFO is a private organization and they make you pay for their stuff instead of just you know posting it like regular people. Basically, it says as part of that jurisdiction, the officials um, have the right to control the players, Coaches, fans, everything in the stadium, the entire stadium is the official's jurisdiction 90 minutes before the game until the end of that. So they can do whatever they feel is necessary to control the game, whether it be via penalty or ejections or moving fans. They can do whatever they want that to their discretion to control the game. So that's that's how that worked. He's got the, the discretion to do that. I don't think they handled it super well. Um, to me, no ejections and no penalties is not a very good way to discourage that behavior. I think there needs to be tougher, uh, tougher penalties for that. And I wouldn't be surprised if Texas Tech sees a, sees a fine for that from the Big 12. Um, but there you have it. The officials can do that. Also, I imagine Baylor is going to get a fine from the Big 12 for storming the field early. Did anybody else see that? Oh, absolutely. Baylor, Baylor beat OU this weekend, for those of you who didn't see that. And apparently their fans got confused about when the game was over and they stormed the field before the game was over. Don't, don't do that. You, you can't do that. Just, just don't. Yeah, they'll, they'll get a fine for that, I'm sure. Um, we're lucky here on the 8311 cast because when we make mistakes in our prediction, we don't get fined. We just get buzzered. Because if we got fined, we'd all be a lot poorer than we already are. So let's keep it that way and not find <laughs> each other for, for bad predictions, if that works. I, I am down for that, seeing as I would be down very bad financially. Yeah, we actually had a very good week. Um, four out of five correct predictions um, coming off the board this week. Um, so that's good. 
First one coming off the board is Wyatt's prediction that KU beats Texas in football this year. For all this misery, at least we aren't Texas, guys. At least we aren't Texas losing to KU at home in Austin. Um, good on that prediction, Wyatt. For that, you get a ding 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 ding. ding, ding. Kyle predicted that Texas would go below 500 in conference play. That loss to KU was their fifth um, conference loss, which means four and five is the best they can do, which is still below 500. So, nah. 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 Oh, sorry. Wait, what? Wait. Oh, wait. No, hold up. Sub 500. I was watching Matt Stafford throw pick sixes, and I was just like, nah. It was wait, no. Talking about Matt Stafford, not you. Um, Wyatt predicted that at least one of Iowa State's games um, would end in a prime number. Um, the Cyclones game against Texas Tech did end in a prime number because 38 plus 41 equals 79, and 79 is a prime number. So, ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. 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 Josh predicted that Alan Lazard would get two touchdowns this week. He didn't even have two catches. So, nah. Nah. And Kyle last week also predicted that Texas would lose to Kansas. So, ding, 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 ding. That's it. That's our accountability session for this week. So I'll start getting um, predictions back up on the board. I'm going to predict that um, OSU, Oklahoma State, not Ohio State, Oklahoma State, is going to salvage the Big Twelve, um, salvage the Big Twelve, and go to the college football playoff. Oh. Mm. FPI. Um, FPI says that there is a, well, 538 says there's a 33% chance. Um, I had that pulled up. I will work on pulling up FPI here. Sorry, I should have I mean, that 33% chance, we're already at double territory. Um, FPI gives them a 30%, 31% chance to make the play. So, double? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yep. Double it is. What do we got from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He is. He's still alive. He's still doing good. He is jumping on the Texas is bad um, bandwagon, which which they are bad. Um, he is saying that Texas is going to lose out. They are not going to win um, another game. That is, is Josh's pretty. Um, the two games are remaining are at West Virginia and at home against K-State. According to FPI, they have a 56% chance to beat West Virginia, which is a 44% chance to lose, and a 68% chance to beat um, K-State, which is a 31% chance to lose. 32% chance to lose. 32. So 14, 32. Yeah, which is a 14% chance to lose out. So this is triple? Yeah. It feels yeah. like a double, though. Statistically, FPI says it's a triple. I do not trust FPI though. I mean, yeah. Do you want to? I mean, call l- look at this. Look at this Texas culture. Do you see last week after the game that the player that posted the video of their coach yelling at him on the team bus, like, and then they just lost to Kansas. Uh, I'm making a very weak argument for a double here. Yeah. And wasn't wasn't there? Okay, I'm gonna. I might be going down a rabbit hole, but I thought I saw something that Steve Sarkeesian said that there might not be many players left on this roster come next season. Yeah, well, he what he said is... That, didn't so, you say like, there might be 32 new scholarship players on this team next year? 
33, but that the math checks out there. You can have 23 scholarship and 8 transfer, right? So that's a total of 33, which isn't... It doesn't sound as much like a threat as it sounds like initially, but th- th- there's still some issue saying that right after you lose to Kansas. Yeah. I mean, you got to wake up your team somehow. What are you going to say? Yeah. Good job, guys. You tried? <laughs> I'm not opposed to... Uh... Him, them lighting him up a little bit for that awful performance. They deserve it. But how are they going to respond to that? I don't care. <laughs> I don't either. Good Josh's prediction does. <laughs> <laughs> um. So double or triple? That's what we'll. Be uh, I have a weak argument. I have a weak argument for a double. I had said triple. Uh, I'm fine with triple. I'll trust the numbers, but I don't dislike your argument. All right, we'll give him a triple for that. My prediction uh, kind of goes up against yours, Mike, I think. I'm going to say that we're going to have a G5 in the playoff this year, a.k.a. Cincinnati. I was going to say, yeah. Um, There's literally no other option. Yeah. I assume you don't include independent Notre Dame in that prediction? No. They're not G5. Then basically it's Cincinnati and their 34% chance to make the playoff according to... 538 and a 43% chance according to FPI. So, double? Double. Yep. Double. What do you got, Kyle? I got that the Patriots are going to win the NFC East. Simple as that. Uh, according to 538, they have a 26% chance to win their division. I'll give you a home run if they're going to win the NFC East. I Sorry. agree. Did I say NFC East? I said AFC East. Yeah. My bad. All right, that's what I meant. So. Okay. My bad. AFC East for clarification, 26% chance to win that division. Probably a double again? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of on the border, I guess, but that feels more like a double. Yeah, I think it's they're playing really good football right now. Um they've got some momentum and their next two games, or the next game is against Atlanta, which is a very winnable game as well to get some more they, momentum. And they, they still have to play Buffalo twice to finish out the season. They haven't played them yet, so we'll see that in a couple weeks. Very good. With three doubles and a triple, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 151 of the 8311Cast. Make sure you tune in next week and check out episode 152. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.